here at church. It's an 80s song. I never knew what it said. And it's, it's Kyrie eleison, which, which means Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. That's all the Psalms are, right? Like sometimes we just don't get it or we don't understand. We use language that we don't quite understand. Hallelujah is another one of those words. It's a spiritual word, but we may be not quite sure what it is. Uh, this morning, uh, before we kind of dive into week three of our 150 series, uh, I, I want to highlight a couple things. One, I am so lucky to be your pastor. Uh, I am just so in awe of that. It's all you guys. Didn't expect that. I just, I am, I, I just think this is the best church in the world. And I, uh, and you guys are the best. And um, like, I know this, that like many of you felt like you're called to prodigal and that's awesome. But we as a staff, we're called to you. Uh, and that, that is just such an honor for us to be a part of your lives in that way. And um, I, not only I feel this way, but our entire staff. And I want to invite uh, Brittany to come up, our children's pastor, women's pastor. She's going to come and share about our women's night that's coming up next Sunday and kind of share some of the heart behind it. Go ahead, Britt. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Um, so we have our second women's event coming up that we are um, hosting next Sunday night. It's from 5 to 7. It's going to be here at the church, but mostly we're just excited. This is our second time we've partnered with Breaking the Chains. Um, We partnered with them last fall. We had an event. We were able to hear about the work that they're doing in our city and for women um, in Fresno and in the surrounding areas. And they are an organization that works with women who are coming out of sex trafficking and children. And so we... We love what they're doing. We love the heart behind what they're doing and um, the blessing that they are. And we just want to get behind them and say, what can we do to help? And they gave us a list of things that, that we could do to help. And so that night, next Sunday night, here we are going to be putting together bags for women as they come out. And we're going to be hearing from the co-founders of Breaking the Chains as well. And we're super honored that they took the time to come um, and spend that with us. But also, it's for us, too, to be there together and to learn and to meet each other and it's for all women so if you're sitting here and you're like I would love for my mom to come and spend this time with me or my granddaughters or my daughter um, this is perfect for that and we're excited it's amazing give Brittany a round of applause it's going to be amazing so there's a bookmark that you got on your way in on the reverse side of that bookmark has some of the items that we're going to need donated but we want to bless these women uh, and uh, it's just an incredible incredible organization uh, that f- helps free people from human trafficking um, in our very city. And so uh, not only is it part of our heart, but it's also in the heart of God. And so we want to encourage you women to, 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 to be a part of that event. Guys, don't show up that night, but you can bring things, okay? You can bring some cosmetics and um, different items. We appreciate that a ton. There was once a preacher who had a horse. The day came for him to sell his horse. So when the buyer came to pick up the horse, the preacher had some unique instructions for him. He said, this is not your typical horse. He doesn't respond to normal cues like, whoa, and giddy up. Instead, I've trained him to respond to Christian cues. For example, if you want the horse to go, you don't say, haya, you say, hallelujah, and he'll go. And when you want the horse to stop, you don't say, whoa, you say, Amen. So the new owner decides to take the horse for a little spin, try him out. He gets on the horse with kind of with a half smile and he goes, hallelujah. The horse just starts going. 
And the horse begins to go through the pasture. And as he goes through the pasture, a coyote jumps up out of nowhere, frightens the horse, and he just starts taking off. And he's heading towards this ravine that he doesn't see. It's 200 foot drop. And so the, the new owner starts to panic and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The horse keeps going, not stopping at all. And finally, he, the new owner realizes it takes different cues. And so just in the nick of time, right before he falls off that ravine, he says, amen. And the horse comes to a halt. The owner says, Hallelujah. <laughs> It is said that there are three words that are understood in every language. Hallelujah, amen, and Coca-Cola. Every language. I remember being in a church service in Durandi, Malawi, this large township outside of the, the, the commercial capital of Blantyre. And they began singing in Chichewa, Tizaku Tamandani Mulungu Wanga, Hallelujah. And I go, oh, I know that one. I know Hallelujah. I know that word. And he would keep going, Mwachita Zazikulu Pa Moyo Wanga, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I got it. I speak Chichewa. And as the pastor spoke, he would cue the congregation. He would say, Hallelujah. And they would say, amen. And if there wasn't quite the response he needed, he would say, hallelujah. And they would say even louder, amen. We can try that real quick. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, whoa, okay. Pentecostal this morning. <laughs> Sounds good. So though I didn't understand the sermon or the service, I understood hallelujah, and I agree. Uh, hallelujah is a Hebrew word that's found its way into the dictionaries of nearly every language on planet Earth. Charles Spurgeon said this, Surely hallelujah is not a word to be dragged in the mire. It should be pronounced with solemn awe and sacred joy. But what is this obscure word found in the ancient Hebrew language? What does it even mean? It's two Hebrew words put together. Halal, which means to praise, to boast, to shine forth. And Jah, which is the shortened version of Jehovah. Uh, Jehovah is the name of the Lord, which emphasizes God Almighty, that, that there's no beginning and no end. He's always been, he will always be Lord God Almighty. There is simply none greater. So when the two words are put together, it means most simply, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's what hallelujah means. How come sometimes we see the word alleluia, Right? Maybe in the old hymnals, Alleluia, instead of the H. Did we just get lazy in our pronunciation? Um, no, Alleluia is the Greek version. It means the same thing. In the last five Psalms in our Bible, Psalms 146 through 150, are often referred to as the Hallelujah Psalms because they each start with Hallelujah and they end with Hallelujah. As, as you turn there, you may see it says, Praise the Lord. It's just the Hebrew word Hallelujah. Many scholars believe that these closing psalms are a summary and or a benediction of all that has been said in the previous 145 psalms. Hallelujah. Psalm 150, the last psalm in our Bible, says this. Hallelujah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. 
Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding. We were doing that a second ago. Amanda here on the drums was just absolutely praising him with the cymbals. Acting out Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I love that phrase. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Because some people are born mute and they cannot speak. Some people have a, take a vow of silence and they do not speak. But the Bible doesn't say, let everything that speaks praise the Lord. It says, let everything that has breath. You have breath. This morning, you probably have coffee breath. I have breath. On Sundays, I go through about a pack of Tic Tacs every Sunday morning so that I don't have coffee breath. Last time I checked, we all have breath. So let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'd like to take most of our time this morning to talk about what it means to, hallelujah, to praise the Lord. If you've noticed, if you've been at Prodigal for any length of time, or even this morning, 50% of our service is a time of musical worship, reflection, contemplation, praise. Uh, Sometimes it's even more. Why? What's the big deal? There's something beautiful and holy about coming together to lift up the name of Jesus. We experience God together. Have you ever had kind of an encounter with God in the middle of a a worship service? One rabbi said this, experiences of God cannot be planned or achieved. They are spontaneous moments of grace, almost accidental. One of his students said, well, if, if God realization is just accidental, why do we work so hard with all the spiritual practices? Why do we meet every single week? And the rabbi said to be as accident prone as possible. That's so true. That's so true. We're not trying to connive some supernatural spiritual experience here. Um, We're just trying to be as accident prone as possible and see what God does. And if you're new to our church, we want to try and make it clear that that this is not a performance. Uh, This is not a band putting on a show. This is our hearts being poured out to God. And the lighting, the lyrics, the volume, all of this is in praise to God. And we don't need all this stuff. We don't need lighting. Uh, We could praise God on our front lawn with just our own voices or even just our own hearts without uttering a word. But there is an extravagance to love. William Barclay says this, Love does not neatly calculate the less or the more. It is not concerned to see how little it can decently give. If it gave all it had, if it indeed gave all the world, the gift would still be too little. There is a certain recklessness in the cost of love. Love, is not, love doesn't neatly calculate the cost. That's why when we truly love someone, and I know this is true for your own life, you really would climb the highest mountain and swim the deepest ocean. You would. The more extravagant the gift, the more exuberant the response. Uh, if I were to... Uh, give Jake, sitting over there in the yellow shirt, handsome guy. If I were to give him a candy bar, he'd go, thanks, John, thanks. And if I gave him his favorite candy bar, maybe a Butterfinger, he's like, man, you know me, so thanks, John. And that would be about it. But if I were to go to Jake's house uh, and his wife and his two daughters are there and he opens the door and I give him one of those big 
lottery checks worth a million dollars. And I go, dude, you got the lottery, man. You, dude would be jumping up and down. He'd be lifting up his girls. He'd be spinning around. He'd be doing the Carlton. He would be so ecstatic about that gift. You see, the response is measured by the size of the gift. How much greater is the gift of Jesus? A life-giving, a life-changing, a trajectory-altering experience with the living God than a million dollars. And here on Sunday mornings, I don't dance all that often when it comes to, to worship. Why? It's kind of weird, right? Uh, someone dancing down the aisles, you know, this is church, control yourself. That's part of how I feel. But I was at a worship conference several years ago, and uh, as I'm in this worship experience, uh, amazing gifted musicians, Matt Redman is up there leading worship, and there's like a thousand people there. And I'm trying to engage with God. My eyes are drawn to this guy over here that's just exuberant. Uh, And I think to myself, he's just kind of showing off his spirituality. He's distracting people from really engaging with God. In fact, that's what he's doing to me right now as I'm watching this guy. And he was dancing like this, like kind of like a Russian river dance, okay? That's what it was like, just like this. And my mind immediately went to judgment on him. And then a couple years later, I'm in my office and I was going through a particularly difficult time. And I was at the office late. This is before Sarah and I had kids. And, uh, and I decided I'm just going I'm to I'm lock. I'm going to close the windows. No one else is in the church. And I'm just going to have a little worship service in here. So some of the songs that I was listening to, I'm bla- blaring on these tiny little speakers. And uh, I just this powerful time. Some of the songs were slow. Some of the songs were fast. One of the fast songs started to happen. And I started to kind of jump up and down a little bit. No one around. And then all of a sudden, I start to dance a little bit. And God stopped me. I was doing the Russian river dance. <laughs> in my office with no one else around. I, I couldn't. I, and he brought me back to that moment where I was judging someone else. There is an extravagance to worship. And I want to get real practical here. When, when we raise our hands in worship and praise, we're doing a few things. We're enacting with our bodies what is happening to our spirit. Uh, if I were to hit your hand with a hammer, you know that your bodies would have a physical reaction, right? You would have excruciating pain, perhaps swelling. But there's also an emotional response. There's a physical response Pain, swelling, but there's also an emotional response. Uh, how many of you know that your emotional response to me would be different if you knew if I did it on purpose or if I did it on accident? Uh, your emotional response to me would actually last longer than the swelling, than the physical pain. This is the interaction between body soul, and spirit. In the same way, the physical body interacts with the soul and the spirit. So what impacts the spirit can have uh, an impact upon our bodies. And what impacts the soul can have a bearing upon the body and spirit. This is what happens in worship. Body and spirit are intertwined in hallelujah. We're saying with our bodies what our spirit already affirms, and it has an impact 
and it's lasting. So raising our hands, it's, it's the universal sign of surrender, right? If, if, if I'm in a different country and I'm at the ATM and someone puts a gun behind my back, what's my immediate response? My life is in your hands. You control. So we raise our hands and say, God, you control. We're surrendering to Jesus. And also, whenever I come home from work, my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, oh, just the biggest smile, and she runs with her arms open to embrace her dad. That, too, happens in our worship. Sometimes it's like this, I surrender, and sometimes it's like this, I'm running, my spirit is chasing after you, and I want to embrace my father. Many times we leave church the same way as we entered. The danger in thinking that worship and praise is just music. So we sit in church unmoved, unemotional, because attendance and worship is the same thing. We even say, well, I attend worship services on Sunday. But just because we attend the service doesn't mean we worshiped. Doesn't mean that we worship. Let me say this clearly. Singing and music are an expression of worship, but they are not worship. If worship's not a song, well, what is it then? Let me try and define it, and there's lots of definitions we could go with. But worship is our love expressed to God as a response to his grace toward us. So we're at home, and we're handling the chores for our spouse who's tired. It can be worship to God with our bodies. The love God wants from you he first gives to you. Does, worship doesn't start with your love for God. It starts and ends with his love for us. The love God wants from you, he first gives to you. Because what can a ch- child really give to their father? My, my son Dex, he's five. He can't really give me anything of value. Everything of value that he has, I've given him. I've given him everything he has. The only thing he can give me is back is gratitude. And the only thing he could really do is live a life outside of my presence that reflects his relationship with me. The only thing we can do for God is when we're not in church. Because we've been with him, we reflect our relationship with him to other people who don't know him. The thing that the Dex can do to honor his dad is to live a life that shows that he spent time with his dad. Being in ministry for 20 years, I've, I've seen trends in worship culture. And I've seen songs that like everybody loves and then you wear them down and then nobody likes them anymore. And, and I've seen pro- progressive worship, loud contemporary hymns. I've seen them all. Uh, But my question is, do you consume the song or does the recipient of the song consume you? Because that's real worship. Let me put it this way. There's consumers of worship and consumees of worship. A consumer of worship asks the question, what's in it for me? A consumee of worship declares, I'm in it for you. A consumer of worship, it's about what you get. A consumee of worship is about what you give. Consumers, it's about style. Consumees, it's about surrender. Consumers, it's about what I prefer. Consumee is about what God requires. Consumer worship 
you use up the songs, consume me worship, God uses up the singer. Another way to put it is this, worship is me in God's hands and my life in God's plans. Is the surrendering of, what, of all of us to him. Maybe the best worship is what happens after the service, not during. We must worship the Lord even when we don't feel like it. And this has really hit me this week. It, it means that we give thanks even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I think Habakkuk 3 describes this most vividly. It says this in verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. So I know that's all agricultural terminology and and we're not necessarily in an agricultural culture now, but what he's saying is when you're broke and when you have nothing, you have less than, you're in the negative when all of your resources have come to an end and you are broke beyond belief and you have zero, nothing, zilch, nada, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. You've got to be kidding me. Anybody can sing when things are going well. But when the bottom drops out, when the hardships hit, can you keep singing? This is something unique to, to Christ followers. We see this in Paul and Silas. We're in this prison in Acts and they're singing at midnight. They were just beaten and they're stuck in a jail cell and they're singing hymns to the Lord. And this, I'm gonna be honest with you, this week has been rough for me. There's been some amazingly beautiful, wonderful, good spirit things that have happened to me this week, and I try and cherish them. But there's one thing that happened on Tuesday night. I got this email, and it wrecked me. It wrecked me, and it put me in a negative mood, and it was mean. And I, I, I haven't been able to overcome. It threw me for a tailspin. And so I got that email Tuesday night, and then I'm even more upset about it Wednesday morning. I go to a Wednesday morning meeting. It was awesome. This incredible meeting with someone in our church. And and then I just start thinking about this email again and I just puts me in another tailspin. So Wednesday, it 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 was a bad day. And so I'm driving to study at Fresno Pacific University. I kind of lock myself in the library there. And and as I'm driving there, I go, I'm kind of hungry. I've had a bad day. Um... And so I kind of want to have a really unhealthy lunch. <laughs> I wish I was kidding, but this was my thought process. So I see Rally Burger. You know what I'm talking about. Those fries, how do they get them that orange crispy color? Just a hint of spice. I'm, I'm going to get a burger and some fries, and I'm going to go to town. So I get in line. They have the double drive through So I order... And I say, uh, I would like a rally burger with cheese, ketchup only, no mayonnaise. And I said, and I would like some medium, large fries. (laughs) She goes, pull right up. So I pull up. I give her the money. She she gives me the bag. And I go, oh, uh," I go, can I get some ketchups? And she goes, we're all out. And I go, 
excuse me? And she goes, we're completely out of ketchup. I go, is there any on the burger? And she goes, a little. And so then I've got the fries in my lap. I've got the fries in my lap. And I go, I kind of don't want the fries. And so she goes like this. And I go, get the fries. And I, she took them back. <laughs> and she comes back, types in, gives me a receipt. She just took them back. Like they were like, uh, you know, like shoes that didn't fit. And, and so I'm amazed by this. I can't believe that they were in my car, in my hand. And she took them back and then gave them to somebody else after that. And so, she, so now I'm, I'm even more mad, right? I've already had a bad day. I'm already fuming about some things. And then she takes my fries. So, I, so then I get in the parking lot. I open up my burger and I go, better check. All mayo. All mayo up on that business. So I go, hey, Lord, I'm talking about hallelujah on Sunday, and I want to lament right now, okay? And so I go, this, I'm embarrassed to say what happens next. So then I could go and throw a fit, a fit right? And I have every right in Jesus' name to throw a fit about that. You're a fast food restaurant, like, catch up. And so... But I go, no, I'm not going to bother with ketchup. I'm going to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and I'm going to get some mashed potatoes and gravy. (laughs) I don't have to deal with ketchup. So I go to KFC. I wait in line again at KFC. I order mashed potatoes and gravy. And I say, do you guys have gravy? She goes, yes, we got gravy. And I go, awesome. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so I get my mashed potatoes. I pull into the parking lot at Kings Canyon and Clovis Avenue. And I'm ready to eat my mashed potatoes. And I open up the bag and there's no spoon and there's no fork and there's no spork. Because KFC usually gives you a spork. It's a combo of a spoon and a fork. So I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? You're cursing me. I am thirsty and parched in this dry and unforsaken desert. And so picture me in my 2012 Mitsubishi Outlander in the parking lot on Kings Canyon eating mashed potatoes with the lid of the mashed potatoes. (laughs) Holding back tears the whole time with every bite. I wish that story was made up. I do. I'm embarrassed right now. (laughs) You know what? In that moment, I did not feel like praising God. I didn't feel like reading and studying the Psalms of praise. And in that moment, I was more ready for lament than praise. But you know what I discovered? I discovered that God deserves praise whether I feel like it or not. Amen? Hallelujah. I've discovered that when I praise God, my focus is lifted away from the problems that assail me, the enemies who persecute me. My eyes, my countenance, my heart is lifted above the muck and the mire, and I look to Jesus, my protector, my defender, my strong refuge, my solid rock. God is bigger than my problems. He's bigger than my shortcomings. He's bigger than my enemies. We praise God for what he does, and we praise him no matter what he does. I want to invite Noe and the worship band to come up, and I'll close with this. A famous story said that Cyrus, who's mentioned in the Bible, founder of the Persian Empire, once had captured a prince and his family. When they came before him, the monarch asked the prisoner, what will you give me if I release you? 
Half of my wealth, he declared. Then he said, what if I were to release your children? And he said, everything I possess. And if I release your wife, what will you give me? He said, your majesty, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he freed them all. And as they returned home, the prince said to his wife, being in the presence of that royal, wasn't he so royal and handsome? And with a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice him. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who is willing to give his life up for me. And that's what we want to do right now. Let that be our focus as we enter into a time of worship. This is our application. Let us lift up our eyes to Jesus, no matter what circumstances you're in. If you're going through some stuff, you can hallelujah anyway. It's something that God's still doing to me because I, some, I just don't feel like it. And even now, if I allow myself to think about my Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, I don't feel like a hallelujah. But this week, that's, this is what God's been teaching me. Can we, like Psalm 150, begin and end in hallelujah? Could we wake up in the morning and the very first thing we do, we say, praise the Lord. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beautiful people in my life. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the weather. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the bed. Thank you for this day. And could we end the evening before our eyes close, before we refuse to let any more light in, could we say, hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your heart for all people. Could we, like Psalm 150, begin and end in hallelujah? Jesus, we proclaim your lordship in our lives, but beyond that, God, we proclaim that you are Lord of all. And we want to take just a second now and we want to pray for those suffering in Christchurch, New Zealand, with 50 people dead. We mourn their loss. We lament the loss of life, of image bearers of God. We pray for your healing. We pray for restorative justice to reign in that place, God. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's church as it is in heaven. We pray that, God, that you would minister and draw people close to you in the midst of such terrible suffering, unjust suffering. And so, God, I pray for those of us in this place who are going through these seasons where hallelujah just seems like it's really distant from our hearts. And I just pray that we'd be able to be honest with you. But God, Perhaps you're stirring in our hearts that, that if, if we begin this journey of focusing in on you more than our problems, that our problems would fall by the wayside, that they would be, appear smaller and you would appear bigger. So God, let that be true and let that be true this morning as we declare that you are the king of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and declare that together?
Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, is my song. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Woe is my song. You are good. You're good. Oh, you are good. You're good. Oh, you are good. You're good. Oh, you are good. You're good.